Welcome back to the Terrible Faithful podcast, and it's been no short of a long time. We kind of took a long, extra long spring break from kind of sports media in general, but not sports. We've still stayed with our teams, especially with baseball. We've actually gotten more into it than I think we ever were with football. But we're happy to be back covering mainly the Pirates and national news from here on out. We will also be posting on our Substack again, where we mainly write about those two teams. Uh, we talk about weekly updates, possible call-ups for minor, uh, for minor league players, and trade possibilities. Today, we're going to be back catching up with the Pirates, Nationals, and the race. After that, we're going to be talking about the two managers that may or may not have been the cancer that these teams needed to cut off. And then finally, we're going to wrap it up with an AL to NL cons- con- excuse me, comparison segment led by Jack. All right. I think with no further ado, let's start it off with the Pirates uh, currently playing right now uh, in Atlanta with Rwanzi Contreras, the guy that I'm probably most excited about uh, with this team pitching, gave up three so far than we started recording, but his stuff just looks nasty. And he's kind of the person I wanted to start this talk off with. Uh, Rwanzi Contreras so far in the majors, a 1.93 ERA. Now, obviously, like I said, he gave up three and about five. He's That's going to go up. 23 innings pitched before today. 26 strikeouts, eight walks. A whip of 1.029. Super excited about Rwanzi. He's by far the best starter on the team. And he's been in the majors since the beginning of the year. Not even in the beginning of the year. We brought him up as a reliever. He pitched some innings out of the pen. He looked disgusting. And then they were like, yeah, Rwanzi, you're pitching great. You're going back down to Indianapolis. Then I was like, wow, this team really just never, ever fails to disappoint me. But then he ended up getting called back, and it seems that he's going to be the starter, which I don't know why there was a question why he shouldn't. Maybe they were trying to ease him into it. It is what it is. He's a starter right now. He looks disgusting. His stuff is disgusting. Second player I wanted to highlight, Cabrian Hayes. And I don't think we've recorded an episode since the eight-year contract extension. Brian Hayes is now locked up for the next eight years in Pittsburgh. And so far in his junior year season, he's slashing a 289 average, 376 on base. The slugging is the problem. And that's where most people's issues are with Brian Hayes. When you get down to his slash line, his on base is damn near the same as his slugging. OPS of 766 without the slugging is still amazing to me. OPS plus of 120. Outs above average of four and defensive run save number one in the league at 11. Cabrian Hayes has been nothing but exceptional so far. It's just the launch angle. You go look at a savant page. You're like, is this Mike Trout? No, it's Cabrian Hayes. He plays third baseman for the Pirates. People don't know about him. Defense, obviously elite. I think it's top five in the entire game, regardless of position. Uh, it's literally just the launch angle. It's He's hitting the ball hard. He's doing everything right it's just fixing again the launch angle sound like a broken record but that is really his only issue he keeps on working on that he's going to be just fine he's going to be a superstar for the next eight years and speaking of superstar brian reynolds the guy that i believed was the best going into the season on this team and he has been maybe the fifth best player on this team so far if we're including all pitchers including relievers maybe he's like eighth uh, he's been disappointing. 227 average, 311 on base, 394 slugging. OPS of 705, OPS plus of 100 flat, 
outs above average of negative one and defensive runs saved of negative two. So not only has he not been producing on the offensive side, he's not been producing on the defensive side. He's actually been really bad. Jump, not been great. Tracking the balls, not been great. Uh, I don't know really what to say about Brian Reynolds besides the fact that, you know, I kept saying, oh, we're only two weeks in. It's just a slump. We're only a month in. We're just, just a slump. We're now six weeks in. Oh, it's just a slump. Now we're eight weeks in. Still, you know, I can't keep creating these excuses for Reynolds saying that, oh, it's just a slump. It's just a slump. And maybe that is, maybe it is a prolonged slump for him. And maybe after All-Star break, because that's when some people either, you know, kick it in the high gear. Some people settle down in the second half. That's just how baseball is. So I have not by any means given up on Reynolds. I still believe that he is ultra talented and he is a future of the Pirates, but I just need people to understand that, yes, he is struggling. And there are some people, and the problem with Pirates fans is that we are so bad that we have irrational fans that if a player plays remotely like a star and then has a bad, you know, two months, they go, oh, we should have traded him when he was high. No, we should not have traded him because he's high. Because you know what? Because who we're going to get back is not going to be half of what Brian's Brian Reynolds, you know, his uh, potential will be because I have no doubt that he's going to at least revert to somewhat of what he was in 19 and 21. I have a lot of belief in Brian Reynolds. And I think the biggest thing for pirates fans in a prolonged rebuild is to not be irrational. That's our manager. He shall not be named before Ben Charrington did that. Uh, that, and I, that comes with the glass now trade. He was irrational. We were not, we were at a point where we were still at a half and half rebuild, half and half win. Now we got hot towards the end. So they were like, oh yeah, you know, these three super young, high potential guys. Yeah. Let's trade them away for half a season of Chris Archer. That's basically what I don't want to happen. I don't want us to ship off Brian Reynolds, him to go be a stud. We get nothing back in return. All right, and the two prospect guys that aren't in the majors that I wanted to talk about. Starting off, the one obvious everyone knows, Barry Bonds 2, O'Neill Cruz. O'Neill Cruz so far in AAA, OPS of 764, nine home runs, struck out 52 times, 28 walks. Not great. You know, it's not great. Especially since we saw him come up, hit a home run that was three feet under the zone, and people just can't stop talking about how O'Neill Cruz is going to be the future of the Pirates. Yet he started the, the year in AAA, and then you know everyone goes, oh, it's their manipulating service time. We're past that now. Why is Oniel Cruz in AAA? There's no, there's no answer for it because it's inexcusable. There's no reason Oniel Cruz should be in AAA right now because we have Yu Chang getting minutes on the main roster. Do the front office think that Yu Chang is better than Oniel Cruz? I hope not because... I would like to apply for the front office, whatever position that person thinks, because I could do it better. Long story short, people need to not look at AAA stats and think that's, oh, this guy can't play AAA. Guess what? He can't play in the major leagues. That is not true. That's not true whatsoever. Don't believe people that say that. They are not smart. The second guy I wanted to talk about, Mason Martin. We have people currently getting playing time on the majors that are not better than Mason Martin. And I'm going to read you his stats right here. OPS, 792. That's fine. It's great. Home runs, 11. The guy can hit the ball very, very hard. Strikeout, 78 walks, 11. That's the big problem. That is the major problem. Strikes out. He strikes out a lot. But the thing with him is that he's got great 
when he when he touches the bat with the ball, it goes far. And I like that. Same thing with Onyo Cruz, ball go boom. Yes, he's going to strike out if he does get called up, but I think that he will provide better hitting than, again, Yu Chang or Michael Chavis against certain sides. We have guys that are in AAA that are ready to take the next step. We are in a rebuild. We have a lot of prospects. Watch them take the step. If he's not good, guess what you can do? Send him back down. It's not rocket science, but please Stop trying, stop, stop giving us these excuses that these guys, we think they need AAA. No, these guys don't. They've done enough in AAA. We are in a year where we are not competing. Why are we trying to be so sophisticated about who gets where and, and what? That's my little rant, guys. Feel free to give your opinions. Well, I think the positive for the Pirates is that they're a competent baseball team this year. And... I don't, I don't, I saw something earlier today. I don't know exactly what the date is, but in a solid sample size, maybe since the beginning of May, they have one of the lowest team ERAs in all of baseball. 2.68 since uh, May 23rd. Yeah, there you go. That's pretty good. The pitching is way improved, um, mainly in the well, bullpen, but the starters yes. have been better. Um, I really think that Cabrian Hayes is like him. Yeah. Like you said, you said you look at the Savant page and you see, oh, it's Mike Trout. No, it's not. It's for Brian Hayes. Everything is red. Uh, and like you said, you mentioned the launch angle part. It's an issue. I think the bigger part of it for me with Brian Hayes is the lack of the pull side power that really kind of baffles me. Is You know, he has the two home runs this year. Those are pull side, but he doesn't really go pull side that often. Mm-mm. He has a lot of oppo doubles in the opposite great. side gap. Hitting the other way is great, but it's also kind of an issue that he doesn't pull the ball really because when you're going to get more power pulling the ball. You know who Cabrian Hayes offensively reminds me of so much? Yandy Diaz and- in 2019. Oh, tell us about Yandy Diaz in 2019 for those that don't know. Well, Yandy Diaz in 2019, that was the only year where his quality of contact was elite, elite. Now he's elite for different reasons, but he could just crush the ball. But all he would do is he would work inside the ball. So he would never pull anything. All of his home runs basically seemed to go to center field or right field. And he had everything working. I think the big issue with Cabrian Hayes is that he doesn't have the same type of oppo power that Yandy Diaz has. But if he just maintains gap to gap and eventually develops that full side power, which he might never do. But if that happens, he'll be beyond special. I think right now as a player, Cabrian Hayes is an all-star level talent and should win probably five to 10 gold gloves in his career. But offensively, if he could maintain that, that 2019 Yandy Diaz type performance, he'll be a stud. Yeah. He just turned 25. And like I said, he's got eight years left in Pittsburgh on contract wise. You know, we never know in the dearness, in the distant future that, you know, we go back to being what people think we are, but you know, he's got time to fix it. This is again, like I said, this isn't a win now year. I hope the front office realizes that, that this is not a win now year. Just because you win some doesn't mean that you're competing. There's a difference between the two. Um, But yeah, I I think that again, it's just going to be experience. And I do know what you're saying that, he doesn't pull the ball, but he doesn't quite have the oppo power. So he's kind of in the middle where 
yeah, he's going to hit a lot of doubles, but you're not going to see opposite field home runs and he's not pulling the ball. So he's kind of in that weird space where he's hitting the ball hard, but it's just going to, like I said, it's just going to come down to his launch angle. It's going to come down to, you know, the big, the biggest thing I think what I saw was his stance is a lot. It was, it's completely different from the last two years. And I remember Parker seeing it for the first time and he sent me a meme immediately was the first thing I was super excited. Texted in the group chat. Oh my goodness. He's going to be so much better this year. He's going to be so him and Parker made fun of me for it. <laughs> but, and I genuinely think him standing closer to the plate now is allowing him to react faster. I think his problem last year was the reason that a lot of his balls weren't pulled is because he was standing so far away. He was so late to pitches. I think now that not only is he standing closer, he's been able to get, you know, a lot, be a lot earlier on those pitches. So it allows him to kind of pull the ball a little bit more. Now I think it's just going to be, it come down to bat to ball skills with him. I think one thing I'm a little worried about with Brian Reynolds is a lot of the time when you see players have, you know, such a drastic down year after a good year last year, you feel like the, you know, the peripherals aren't that much different. You know, the expected numbers, the exit velos, they're not that much different. Brian Reynolds, it's not like he's been getting a little unlucky. He's legitimately been bad. Mm -hmm. That's the kind of thing that worries me a little bit more. Well, I don't know. It, it, he just – his vibe, and, and I know that, that you can't put that on a stat sheet, but when you watch a player <laughs> from – and I'm serious. I, I, I don't, I, you guys know what I'm talking about because I know you guys have felt it before. The vibe of like Juan Soto. When Juan Soto was slumping, his vibe, the way he approached the plate was a lot different from when he was on fire last year. It's just you can see it. And I think that he's beating down on himself because he's playing so bad and that his confidence is lost. And I think that he doesn't have very many fans that are standing behind him, helping him because I think there's too many fans in this, in this fandom that immediately have already given up on him. It's the same thing. What happened from 19 to 20, he had a great 2019. It wasn't long, but he had a great 2019. He showed a lot of flashes, had a bad 2020, by the way, 60 games had a bad 2020 people gave up on him underdog mentality entering 2021 all-star season phenomenal gold glove finalist i know that gold gloves aren't the best thing to, to, to measure defense but you know he's still up there he played really great defense last year great hitting and then again it's just the second that someone plays under expectation or just slumps at all people jump down their throat and i just think that it kills his confidence Here's, that, that's the thing with him Another thing about Brian Reynolds is that it seems like people have forgotten how early we are into the season. There are so many great players that just haven't put up numbers yet. And that's going to happen. That happens every single season. Mm -hmm. But with the 2020 season, Brian Reynolds never got a chance to turn it around. In 2022, he absolutely will. So I think it's all about just staying within your approach. And he'll, he'll be back eventually. There's yeah. no denying his talent two full seasons of being an all-star caliber player that doesn't mean nothing yeah and then Rwanzi, that's the one i want to i really want to hear you guys because the Cruz and martin one you guys don't know a lot about martin because he's in he's deep in the kind of in the pirates farm so i don't expect you guys to know anything about him but on yell obviously everyone knows on yell but Rwanzi, you guys have seen him you guys know his stuff what do you guys think about him that guy's nasty i remember being in San Diego, me and my dad were down there for a couple of Nats, or not Nats games, but just a couple of Padres Braves games. Why not go? And I get back and I'm watching the Nats Pirates on my phone in the hotel room. And I'm just like, okay, 
Cesar Escobar just got struck out by Ramonte Contreras. Oh, now that Cesar Hernandez. Oh, now Juan Soto. Oh, now I'll see this Escobar again because he's not very good at baseball. But you know, uh, like that. Like even then, I it was he's really good, and he's starting right now for the Pirates, and he's doing well. He's throwing gas, and he's able to locate it. And by no means is he a finished product. Yeah, Ramsey Contreras is one of those guys that it's he's going to be very hard to mess up, and hopefully the Pirates don't find a way to mess him up. I don't give think him a will. sinker. Give him a sinker. <laughs> Do not give Ronzi Contreras <laughs> a sinker, please. Ronzi, this is he's gonna walk in the office after giving up like three runs to the Braves, and they're gonna be like, Ronzi, we want you to try something out. <laughs> Check out this grip. <laughs> Check out this grip. This is it's provided amazing results. You know, Greg Maddox, he threw one of them. <laughs> Ever heard of that guy? <laughs> and then obviously wrap it up with O'Neill Cruz. Opinions on past service time not being up. I was like fully under the impression that he'd be up as like the day of service time, right? Just bring him up. And like the fact that we aren't even there yet makes me think, are they going to try and drag this into next year and then not bring him up for service time again next year? Is this like where we're at right now? Is this I, how much they're just conceding the season? I personally believe that the pirates don't think he's ready. I, 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 I just don't think that there's any way they would stall him for this much longer if well, they thought he was ready to contribute. See, here's my thing with that. Ben Sherrington, when he was at the Boston Red Sox, had a bit of a notorious streak that he didn't really have his prospects playing in AAA that much. Jackie Bradley Jr. never played in AAA. Okay, there were a couple of guys like that that did not play in AAA much or didn't play there at all. I do think O'Neill Cruz is a special type of player though he's six eight and he strikes out a good amount so it's pretty tough to teach a guy that's just massive what to and what to not swing at so i definitely see why his development could take a longer time than other prospects then again i've seen him do ridiculous stuff and i think that at this point the mlb would only help him yes he's he's been yes. in indianapolis long enough Yes, and he's bored down there. He doesn't, sure he, is. he doesn't want to be there. You can tell by the way he hits 400-foot bombs and then just, like, shrugs <laughs> it off because he's thinking to himself, I should be doing this in the major leagues. Why am I doing this here? And I know it. And, and one thing that, that I love to look at is that guess who didn't even play in AAA and who is leading all rookies, NL rookies, in home runs right now? Jack Sawinski, he just hit his eighth the other day. He's playing amazing for us. He didn't touch AAA one time. So obviously, there's proof that this 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 organization goes, oh, this guy's played amazing in AA. Let's bring him up, see what he can do. Guess what? Didn't need AAA. But for some reason, for O'Neill, he needs AAA. It's just, it mm, doesn't sit right with me. And I am worried that they're going to prolong this to the very end of the year. And they're going to be like, oh, two games left? Dude, come on up. Hit three <laughs> home runs in the two games. And we'll manipulate your service time again next year. Yeah, we'll, we'll see you in Indianapolis again for the first two months. Yeah, well, may, maybe we'll bring you up once service time is passed next year. Maybe. All right, Jack, go ahead. Let us know about what's well, going on with the, the Washington Nationals. Nationals are in a much worse situation right now than the Pittsburgh Pirates are. And a lot more frustrating situation than the Pittsburgh Pirates are. 
uh, you look at their lineup, right, and you see Juan Soto, Nelson Cruz, Josh Bell, and you think, okay, so they're probably hitting for power, you know, so at least middle of the league in home runs, you know, slugging the baseball a lot. But they're not at all. And last year with Kevin Long as the hitting coach, they were putting out a lineup that was much worse than what they have out there right now, in my opinion, anyway, for those final two months. And that offense in the final two months was as good as it was throughout the entire year. Even when they had Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber and whoever else they had, Josh Harris and Jan Gomes. And obviously that offense was like way less, like the players on that were not as good as the players they traded away. But it worked. They don't re- rehire Kevin Long as hitting coach. They instead bring in Darnell Coles, big old Davey Martinez friend from who else? Who the hell knows where? And now they're hitting like, oh, they have a great batting average. They don't strike out. They're like a team from the 1960s. They're in the you know the very top of the league in strikeout rate, and they think they're third in the NL in batting average, but they don't slug. And, you know, some of the guys on the team not slugging, like Kiber Ruiz and Cesar Hernandez, like, that's not that big of a deal, right? You know, you know, you want Kiber to eventually slug, but he hasn't right now. He's been playing fine, whatever. But when Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell are both on, what, five homers two months into the season, something's not right. And Nelson Cruz is playing good baseball right now, but it's, he's hitting as a contact here. That's not what you expect from Nelson Cruz. And you know what? Great that Darno Coles has been able to turn Nelson Cruz – into this great contact hitter. But it's not winning baseball games. It's not scoring runs. They have these games that they're having right now where they kind of just get all this Babbitt look and, oh, everything looks great. The offense is moving. Everyone's hitting a bunch of singles. Great. They don't slug. The offense, does. They don't, they don't slug. It's crazy. And on top of that, the pitching is somehow worse. And my name on Twitter right now, is fire Jim Hickey with a profile photo that's literally just Jim Hickey with a big no sign over it. And it's kind of, I've almost decided to almost go to the Darnell Coles version of it because it's just the development and the coaching staff with the Nats right now is so bad because the personnel is not the problem. Definitely not in the offense. And I don't even really think so with the pitching that much. But the coaching has, is so bad. Every player on the Washington Nationals right now is not playing to their best potential. Juan Soto, and I don't think Soto is as much of a coaching thing as everyone else is, but still. I just think that there's nobody in the Nats that's playing as how they should right now. Besides maybe Kiba Ruiz, but even he, I think, should be slugging a little more. Anyway, that brings us to Lane Thomas. Lane Thomas is the one guy who recently has kind of played like that. He had a 131 WRC plus in May. Three-homer game in Cincinnati. He's got three hits tonight against Milwaukee. And when we acquired Lane Thomas from the Cardinals last year for John Lester, I said no matter what Lane Thomas does, this trade is a massive W for the Nats. We won that trade. And Lane Thomas has, you know, outperformed big-time expectations, and he's, like, looking that he can be a serviceable player on a good team, whether it's actually as an outfielder or, you know, a hot and cold fourth outfielder. He's a valuable player that could be on a good team and, be a good piece of a good team so that was pretty incredible on Mike Rizzo's part um but also brings us to Juan Soto Juan Soto I feel like the whole slump that Juan Soto is going through when we say slump but it's really not that much of a slump it's that Juan Soto is not being Juan Soto Juan Soto is instead being like a borderline all-star player uh 
I think the issue that I've seen the most with Juan Soto, and some of the Nats commentators, Kevin Franzen, have talked about it. I think he's looking for walks when he goes to the plate. I don't think he's looking to hit. I feel like that's what I've noticed. I feel like this year, way more than last year, I've seen him, you know, take a pitch and, oh, it's a ball, and it's not a ball. Whether, whether you know, it's in the box or not. And then that gets in his head. He's looking, he's looking for balls to take instead of trying to go hit. And I feel like when he's gotten hot and he's hit some homers this year, it's been when he's gone in there looking to hit. Because he knows he can take pitches, but I feel like he's pressing himself to not swing at bad ones. And it's to the point where it's like, oh, my God, dude, swing the bat a little bit. He's also just rolling over a lot of change-ups. People have figured out that Juan Soto with change-ups is a bit of a weakness. So that also isn't helping. Uh, Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell, not slugging right now. Won't be on the team come August, October, September. Who knows where they end up. But I'm still thinking that even despite the fact that they're not slugging as much right now, I, I still think the Nats are going to get pretty damn good returns for them. Uh, I think that there's going to be somebody that's looking for some bats, and they might be the top bats on the market. And as I'm saying this, Josh Bell just hit a three-run homer, so that's great. But they're going to be, even without the slugging, there are going to be a couple of the top bats on the market, especially with the Red Sox getting hot. Bogart's endeavors kind of fall off that market. It's a pretty weak trade deadline, especially in terms of bats. Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz could very well be the top two in bats on the trade deadline market this this, this uh, July. They're going to get a good return, even if they keep playing like how they are right now. Pitching-wise, I just think there are so many guys that have talent to be solid pitchers on the Washington Nationals, and not many of them have actually been that. And it's Partly a pitching coach thing, partly just command issues that are so bad. But the bullpen, the back end of the bullpen, the guys that have mattered in the bullpen have been really good. Tanner Rainey has been really good. Kyle Finnegan had a rough start, but he's been good since then. Victor Arano, his ERA won't tell you it, but he's been the best reliever on the team. It's a shame that Davey Martinez has no clue how good he is. Carl Edwards Jr., he got called up in the beginning of May. He had a terrible first out against the Mets. Since then, hasn't allowed a run. The back end of the bullpen is great. Carl Edwards Jr. could be a great trade piece come the deadline. Tanner Rainey so also could be as they stack up prospects. But there's, like, talent, especially in the bullpen that they have. It's so crazy watching the starting pitching and seeing, oh, this guy throws two pitches. Oh, this guy throws two pitches. Patrick Corbin, two pitches. Yoana Dome, when he was still in the majors, two pitches. Eric Fetty's the only guy that really throws the kitchen sink at you, but Eric Fetty has no clue where it's going. So it's just not really working. And Kiba Ruiz just homered, and that makes me very happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's just where they are right now. It's not hitting not for power, you say? You obviously don't know Nationals ball. <laughs> Two home runs. They're, they're, <laughs> they're not slugging, except for, you know, maybe this inning. Let's keep it second talking. of the year. Maybe, maybe I need to keep complaining about it on podcasts. But, yeah, it's the fact that they're not slugging. It's the fact that the pitching, it feels like there's a lot more potential than what's coming out of both the offense and the defense. However, big thing last year, Kiba Ruiz, Josiah Gray, big trade from the Dodgers, trade Turner and Max go to L.A. And both of those guys have been exactly what I've hoped for so far. You look at their numbers, they're not that great. Kiba Ruiz, he's among the, the top of the NL in most stats for catchers. 
but offensively, this, you know, the slugging is an issue where you, you see some guys like Wilson Contreras has been a world leader this year. He's absolutely raking. And you look at the stats, and Keeper Ruiz, he's been good. Look at the stats for Josiah Gray. He hasn't been that good, but I feel like with Josiah Gray, he's so close to being really good. And that there's going to be something, whether it's a changeup, whether it's just some fixed fastball command, I think a changeup is what he really needs to figure out. But there is so much potential there with Josiah Gray. He's not that good of a pitcher right now. He's a, you know, whatever, four to five maybe guy on a solid rotation, maybe. But there, you, the upside is so obviously there. And you see the Nats fans that have been spoiled by the fact that, you know, Juan Soto and Bryce Harper and Steven Strasburg were so good immediately when they came up. Made immediate impact. Were never bad ever. That has kind of spoiled Nats fans into thinking, okay, Josiah Gray already sucks because he hasn't been good, you know, in his first 120 innings or so of baseball, 130 innings. But there's very clearly upside with both him and Ruiz, and they've already been playing fine baseball. It's just a matter of getting to that next level. But I honestly, I'm just so worried about the coaching staff and their deficiencies in terms of getting to the next level. If you put Josiah Gray on a team that knows how to develop pitching, they're giving him a changeup or something that moves towards a right-handed batter, and he's going to be an elite pitcher by next year, or at least a good pitcher by next year. I don't trust Jim Hickey to do that from everything I've seen. I think that's about all I have to say on the Nets. Also, actually, no, it's not. Luis Garcia got called up recently. They manipulated his service time, whatever. Now he's playing shortstop. Probably should not be playing shortstop. I don't trust his defense as shortstop. It's not because of the glove. It's because of the arm, and that's exactly why I think he'd be a great second baseman. But he's been hitting the ball hard since his call up. That's been special. Now, Now that's it. Well, I've seen one Luis Garcia, or that's his name, right? Luis Garcia. Yes, I've seen one Luis Garcia at bat, and it was an absolute moonshot off of Nick Anderson, who hadn't given up a run that whole season. So he, he might be hitting really the, hard. Yeah, I know he had, doing that. <laughs> I, I definitely noticed him hitting the ball very hard when he tanked one 430 feet off off of my favorite team's closer. Yeah, his one and, homer so far this year in Miami off of Edward Cabrera. But 440, I think it was 113 off the bat. Guy's got pop, and he's got really good bat-to-ball skills. Almost to the point that it sometimes hindered him, where he'll sometimes, like, you know, instead of swinging and missing, put the ball, put the bat on the ball, and it'll just be, you know, a little soft grounder with less than two strikes. That's not what you want to see. And Kira Ruiz has that issue, too, to an extent. But either way, uh, he hits the ball really hard. He's got two hits tonight. He is definitely, like, I'm super excited about his offensive future. Whether or not he's playing shortstop or second or third or whoever the hell else knows where, super excited about his offensive future. Yeah, I think that the the, the thing for me is that you also, the Nationals are being put up for, for buy. Like, people are bidding to end up buying the Washington Nationals. And the main point that has come back from them is that they will not buy this team if Juan Soto is not on that team because he is worth the billions that they're going to pay because Juan Soto is quote unquote 24 years old or 23 years old, whatever he <laughs> okay. says he is really, he's <laughs> okay. 35 and has a whole family. Little do okay. they know, but that's once the, the Washington nationals are Juan Soto. Yes. Kiber Ruiz, Luis Garcia and Josiah Gray are his supporting cast. This is who you build around. This is the golden boy five-star prospect that you hope to God you get in the prospect system. Not only does he come up at 22 years old, he is well, he a all-star. He came up a lot younger than that. He, then, then he, what, did, what did he come he up, 21 up years 19. old? 19. 
19 years old <laughs> and was a superstar to start off went to the world series won a ring he has the ultimate career so far and he is just getting started this he is the like i can't think of anyone in sports literally nobody in sports that is better to start a franchise with than Juan Soto I can't name you in basketball in football maybe Patrick Mahomes three years ago in 2019 then I would go oh yeah I'd start my franchise with you know Patrick Mahomes at that age at that current point second year but now that he's a little bit older Juan Soto is more valuable than that so Mahomes also has gotten his big contract oh I and he's already got his contract I can think of a guy don't say, <laughs> please don't say Wander. But that is my point. The Nationals need to give him whatever he wants. If he wants a private island in the Bahamas, give him a private island in the Bahamas because he's going to carry this franchise. No matter what they are, no matter who they are, you will have a solidified superstar that is going to put seat in those or seat in those and butts in those seats. No matter what, for the next. He could play for 18, 17 more years. So just don't mess it up. Extend Juan Soto. The fact that trade rumors are even coming out, I'm glad that, well, there's, there's that not he came out and shut them rumors. down. I know, but I'm glad that when that topic came up, Rizzo came out and was like, no, 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 no there's and, not And rumors. here's the thing with Juan Soto and trade rumors. They, especially, you know, as long as this team is not sold, he's not getting traded. There's just no way. Even if you think it's a smart move from a baseball standpoint, hey, you know what? It's going to be tough you know, to sign this guy. And we could get a haul of prospects for him, one of the biggest hauls you've ever seen in baseball or on any sport. They're not going to sell him because he's what is the team value right now when they're trying to sell. And I think that a new owner, especially with the price range that it seems like the Nats are setting for their sell, or for their sale, I should say, they're going to want to extend Juan Soto. They're going to want to make Juan Soto the Bradley Beal of the Nats slash, you know, and obviously Juan Soto is a lot better in his sport than Bradley Beal is, but Bradley Beal has obviously been around the Wizards for a long time. And that's a comparison. The OV for the Nats. They want to have their face of the Washington Nationals. It was Ryan Zimmerman for a long time. Bryce Harper, they didn't end up, end up paying. Zimmerman's gone now. You need a new one. Juan Soto is that guy. And I think whoever is going to buy the team will hopefully realize that. And they're going to make everything they can to keep Juan Soto in Washington for his career. I think they do. And I think, what, what, what is it, $3 million? It's projected. I don't think it goes for three million or three billion. Three billion. Or yeah, for three billion. I don't think it's gonna get that high. I'd be pretty surprised by that. That will be the biggest that will be the second biggest sports team sale in the history of American sports, only to the recently bought Denver Broncos. Uh, when Steve Cohen bought the Mets, it was funny, it was two point four million dollars. I think it's like probably somewhere in that ballpark, if we're being real. But either way, that's a lot of money. That's someone that has a lot of money. That's someone that is hopefully willing to spend on a baseball team. Spend on Juan Soto and spend on people to surround Juan Soto. Even that if these was, next couple yeah. of years are low payroll. That's literally what my point was, that if they buy it for 2.4, 2.5 billion, they're really paying 3 billion because they're taking into account, not only am I buying this team for 2.4 billion for its rights, I'm paying for Juan Soto, which is the 500 million I'm going to owe him. So they're thinking that, am I going to pay 2.4? No, I'm really paying 2.9 or whatever they're going to pay him. So that's also a thing to me is I've kind of been wondering, let's say the learners get an offer from someone. They say, hey, you know what? We'll buy, the, we'll buy the team for $3 billion right now under one circumstance. You have to extend Juan Soto before we buy it. As long as you extend Juan Soto before we buy it, we'll take it. $3 billion, here you go. 
we'll pay for Juan Soto. We'll we'll pay the contract, but you got you got to be the ones to negotiate it. You got to be the ones to get him under contract to convince me to buy it. And I wonder if that happens, what it takes to get Juan Soto to sign right now. It's going to take a lot. It's not going to be no Jordan Alvarez contract where it's oh six years one fifteen for one of the best hitters in baseball. That's not going to happen. It's going to be a record-breaking deal if he gets one right now. And it's going to be a record-breaking deal even in two years and three years in this free agency. He's not getting, you know, no cheap contract. I wonder if that's a thing that could also happen. I, I, I see. And obviously, I can't speak from experience because I don't have $3 billion to spend on a, on a, <laughs> on a baseball team. But I think that's such a great mentality. You get Juan Soto locked down. I'll buy the team. I think that's such a perfect thing to do. I think it's a win-win because not only does it secure the future for the owners, it's reassurance to the fans that, you you know, yes, we are selling this team, but we want to put this team in the best possible position to win for the next decade and a half. And I think that's what signing Juan Soto this year in a down year does to the fan base. It reassures the fan base. That's what the Cabrian thing was for me. It was reassurance that Ben Charrington and Rob Nutting give a little bit of a crap about the fans and a little bit of crap about winning. That's what I think the Juan Soto extension will do for the Nationals fan base. Yeah, and if, if Juan Soto, let's say Juan Soto leaves in free agency come 2024 offseason, that's going to be a catastrophe. Whether it's, it, you'd rather trade him, obviously, than get nothing for him. And that's what happened with Harper is they didn't trade him and they get nothing for him. And you know, to be fair, the rumored trade that could have gone down at the 2018 deadline would not have made a difference. It would have been to Houston. Prospects they got back have all been not very good in the major league so far. So that's kind of whatever. But at the same time, they're going to need to figure it out before free agency, I think. I don't think you can let him go to free agency without having, you know, at least a clue. Because he's a Scott Boris client. He, it seems like everything that you see from Juan Soto, he wants to be in D.C. Whether, you know, oh, I have water. That's great. But Scott Boris isn't like that. Scott Boris is going to go, hey, Mets. Yeah. Give would... him $550 million. Oh, they, you'll give him 550 Angels, give him 570 I was just about to say, if he hits for agency, there are exactly four teams that could happen. Yep. It would be the Dodgers, Angels, Yankees, or Mets. Those two cities, that's it. Yeah, and that, that's pretty much the issue. That once he gets to free agency, it's it's not going to look good for the Nats. Dude, baseball. That's how it works. <laughs> L.A. and New York, they own everything. True. Don't you know? If Steve Cohen wants Juan Soto and come free agency, he's getting Juan Soto. So I want a stubborn Unless owner. we get an owner that's richer than Steve Cohen. Which I'm down for. I'm just saying – <laughs> anyone wants to own the Nats that is richer than Steve Cohen, be my guest. Whoever is listening to the Terrible Faithful <laughs> podcast and has like $4 billion to give away, buy the Nationals. Yes, I agree. Hello, Jeff Bezos. Yeah, <laughs> Bezos. See, everyone on Nats Twitter, when that rumor came out originally that the Nats were trying to sell, it's like, all right, get Bezos on the line. <laughs> Anything Elon else Musk want to talk about? Spend $44 billion on Twitter. We can spend $4 billion on the Nats and pay everybody. Oh, absolutely. Anything else, Chop? No, that's it. All right, Parker, let us know what's been going down in South Florida. Well, before I do that, I have a quick question. What's your question? Who do you think has the best K rate as a batter <laughs> on the Tampa Bay Rays? I'm going to go with um, Manuel Margot. 
No. Going with Yandy Diaz. It is Yandy, Yandy Diaz. You guys Yandy. were supposed to say Wander Franco, by the way. That was like Wander's been well, that, bad well, in yeah, a set he, of he games. He hasn't actually been that good. He's also yeah. Injured. Well, I mean, they they both have otherworldly K percentages. Yandy Diaz has been the best player on the Rays, in my opinion, and he hasn't even hit the ball hard at all. He has an 18 walk percentage and a 9.3 K percentage. He is almost walking double the time he strikes out. In the MLB, that doesn't happen in Major League Baseball. It just doesn't. Juan Soto doesn't do that. And (laughs) he doesn't. And I'm at least not this year. Isn't this year? Yandy Diaz has the best uh, K to walk percentage in the MLB this year. And nobody knows who he is because he plays in front of 10,000 people in a circle. It's, <laughs> it's so rough. And I think it's, it's so funny that Yandy Diaz ended up being the best player on the Rays this year with all the hype. This team is 34 and 23, about to be 34 and 24. And I can confidently say it's the most average race team I've watched in four years. I, the team does what it always does well. It has great pitching. It has great defense. But this offense is so bad this year. It's awful. The defense has been amazing. But past the top three guys in Randy Rosarena, Manuel Margot, and Yandy Diaz, you haven't gotten consistent production from anybody. It's been all just hoping and praying that your five through nine hitters don't all get struck out in every at-bat. But if we're talking positives for the Rays, they have one big positive on the roster, and that guy is Shane McClanahan, who I think has developed into the best pitcher in the league right now. He has a 35% walk percentage and a 4% or a, no, he does not have a 35% <laughs> walk percentage. That would make him bad. How does he have a job? <laughs> he has a 35% K percentage and a 4% walk percentage. That's the best in the league. So the Rays have both the leaders in K walk percentage for hitters and pitchers, which has been a very, very big focus of them over the past four years. They love guys that just walk a ton and they love pitchers that don't throw any balls. I mean, everyone in their bullpen, JP Fireisen, Jason Adam, Brooks Raley, Jalen Beeks, these are guys that fill up the strike zone and don't give up home runs. A lot of people have this false pretense that pitchers that give up fly balls are going to give up home runs. But that is not true when you play in Tropicana Field with dead balls where the team leader in home runs is Kevin Kiermeyer with six. The no pitching way. staff has absolutely benefited off of this season. And it's it's amazing just seeing guys like J.P. Fireisen. That guy's a 33% ground ball percentage, and he hasn't given up a single run this season. They have tons of these guys. Corey Kluber, 39%. He doesn't give up home runs. Every, their whole bullpen is fly ball pitchers that pound the zone. Guys that you think would get absolutely shelled, in the, especially in the modern MLB where everyone hits the ball 90 miles at least, 90 miles per hour off the bat. But no, the Rays have found a way. I have no idea how they do it, and it's the only reason that they're actually decent. Now let's talk about the guys that have broken out in a big way that I didn't really expect to break out. Number one, Jeffrey Springs is somehow an elite starter for the Rays. He's been ridiculous, posting a – and I – can't believe I'm about to read this. A 1.62 ERA in 45 innings this year. As a guy that came from the Red Sox with an 80 ERA getting shelled every single outing, 
That was an absolute steal of a trade. That was Chris Mazza and Jeffrey Springs for Ronaldo Hernandez, who's a catcher in the Red Sox system right now. I mean, highway robbery. The Rays have stolen a few very good pitchers from the Red oh, Sox. Have you, oh, I was about to say. <laughs> the Rays also stole <laughs> Jalen Beeks for Nate Evaldi. I mean, Nate Evaldi has been a very impactful player for the Red Sox, but Jalen Beeks has been ridiculous for the Rays. He's been a guy that I expected to do well. He's come back from Tommy John, and he just pounds the zone. His walk percentage is otherworldly. It's down to 6%. I mean, that's Shane McClanahan numbers. And that's how the entire staff operates. Nobody walks anybody. And the last guy I want to talk about, Isak Paredes. He was the guy that got shipped over to the Rays in the Austin Meadows trade. And a guy that a lot of people were kind of skeptical about, especially in a trade of that magnitude trading way, your best hitter in a stupid deal. That's straight out of fuzzy's mouth. Um, but he's been pretty huge for the Rays. He's hit five home runs in very limited plate appearances. That's one less than Kevin Kiermaier, the team leader, by the way, team leader in home runs, Kevin Kiermaier. There's a real issue over in Tampa Bay, but yeah, Isak Paredes, he's been, a spark in that lineup recently. He's been one of those guys that have just been plug and play with the Brandon Lau and Wander Franco injuries. And honestly, it's gone pretty well. Vidal Bruhan and Taylor Walls are the two other guys that have been stepping up in that role. And each time they step up to the plate, I want to turn the game off because they do not know how to swing a baseball bat in a positive uh, way at all they both have negative war Taylor Walls is sporting a negative 0.5 F4 Vidal Bruhan negative 0.7 what's Vidal Bruhan's OPS right now <laughs> it was I don't have that nine last I checked <laughs> I don't have that offhand but I do know his WRC plus is 19 so <laughs> Isak Fredis has been so vital to the Rays without him that middle infield would be vomit inducing and yeah, that's pretty much the Rays up to this date. Great bullpen, great starting rotation. The rotation has saved them, but the offense just hasn't gotten anything done. They've been extremely average. When Wander and Lau come back, it's going to change. But for right now, they're seven games behind the Yankees. And I think they're playing themselves out of the division hopes. When are they so, expected back, those two? Brandon Lau's expected back late august wonder will be back in a couple of days jesus late august what was his injury it was a really really bad hamstring strain oh that sucks so i'm looking at the uh the vidal brujan stats right now he has a 395 ops this year with a 20 ops plus and in comparison to his career stats so far which is to be fair not much more than this year <laughs> they're better it's only 30 more bats it's better his ops on his career is 336 and the OPS plus on his career is a whopping one. Well, I do have another thing for you to check out. Check out his righty-lefty splits, and that'll explain yeah, all you need to know. You're make me go to fan graphs for this. Okay. They're ridiculous. He's hit <laughs> 060 against righties and 296 against lefties. And if you guys listening don't know, he's a switch hitter. So maybe – Eventually, he might have to dish that left side of the plate because it has not worked out for him in the slide. It's only two hits. <laughs> only two hits. Actually, three. My bad. Undersold. I feel like that's a thing with a lot of players. Right? It's like, I feel like this player would be better if he just hit Ozzie Albies. Ozzy Albies is a great example. I think Cattell Marte is an example of that. Those guys are both so good from the right side, but they hit lefty against you know these right-handed pitchers. 
well, the way I see it is there's got to be a reason why he hits lefty. He's probably horrendous righty righty. So, <laughs> but I feel like especially with like Ozzy Albies, it's at the point where I would give it a chance. Give me a year of right-handed Ozzy Albies entirely. Just see what happens. In yeah, with I mean Ozzy Albies is a special case. He's one of the best lefty crushers in the league, and he's a switch hitter for some reason. He also, I guess, gets power from the left side still, so it's not that. He did because side. he took Rowanzi deep earlier with a horrible. <laughs> he was hitting from the you know from the lefty and hit him off the wall, barely swung. I was like, wow, okay, man. Can we just not count that? Yeah, I've noticed the balls seem to be a little less dead lately. I think a lot of it had to do with weather. Maybe they have some different ball that gets affected more by cold weather, well, but it seems I know like balls were, are flying. I know they were talking about the humidor stuff being like a lot more ballparks this year. I don't really know exactly what those do. I'm not, I haven't looked into it, but I'm, I'm going to assume that's been a part of it. I think the humidor is what they were using in Colorado to try and like, you know, kind of get rid of the elements of Colorado a little bit. Yeah. But uh, and they have that now everywhere, which I feel like maybe is affecting that a bit. You know, when it's cold out, it's good, it's gonna feel like it's really cold when you're when you're hitting the baseball. Well, what a humidor do- does is it basically brings the humidity back to whatever a normal level would be indoors. So I, I think in a lot of cases, it's, it actually has the opposite effect. So balls are gonna start flying in places like Miami and Tampa, but we haven't really seen that thus far. No, we really haven't, especially in the Tampa spot. It's definitely felt like Nats Park has been way more of a pitcher's park this year. Is that so? It definitely feels like it. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's true or not. There's no stat to back that Austin up. Austin Voth? Me, I can. How about Austin Voth's ERA? <laughs> well, Austin that Voth is just bad. <laughs> I don't know. I think the you ten can have ERA. A pitcher's park. You can, you can have a pitcher's park where all the pitchers suck, so it doesn't really matter. Oh, Scooble. Is it, I don't know. I think that uh, yeah, Austin Voth really is just bad. I can't keep it up. He's just Austin Voth <laughs> can go. He can. He's gonna go be pitching in Baltimore. And I, I can't wait for those home runs flying over that left field wall. That left field wall left is field wall. so long now. By the way, it's ridiculous what they did to that ballpark. What home runs? I over just the found left it so wall. funny that they also raised the wall. Like they are, they already made it the deepest left field. I think maybe only to Pittsburgh and maybe Atlanta. And it's also like 15 feet high. It's ridiculous. And it's so funny because sometimes when I'm watching the Rays versus Orioles games, I forget about that left field wall because it's not on the camera too often. So you'll see a <laughs> pop fly to left field. Usually, oh, that's a tank. We're in Orioles stadium. Nope, not even warning track. It's such a big adjustment. See, I, as a Nats fan, I don't really watch too many games in Baltimore. So I don't, I'm also not really watching the Orioles. You we like enjoying one, your get- time? We get one series there a year because, you know, the Beltway series. I remember last year, like, you know, Juan Soto went the other way to left field. And I'm just thinking to myself, when is the lefty going to go over that wall? Well, like, like, is that going to be like the equivalent of like a righty hitting a splash hit in San Francisco? All I know is that lefty will be G Man Choi. It's Yoshi Tetsuya when he comes back. I, th- I think it's Juan Soto when we go to Baltimore in about a week and a half. Yeah, he's going to ground over to the left field wall. Yes, sir. (laughs) 
The Phillies go from losing 12 of 17 to now being 6-0 and since Joe Girardi was fired. Before being fired, the Phillies sat at 22-29, and and Girardi in his tenure with the Phillies was 132-141. and Now, Girardi was quoted before the day he was fired saying, I don't worry about my job. I have never worried about my job. Well, Girardi, you should have been worried. (laughs) You should have been worried about your job. And to top it all off, the Phillies haven't been to the postseason since 2011, and Girardi didn't help them break that as they now sit as the longest drought in the entire NL. So they needed a change of pace, and they let go of Joe Girardi. And as a Nationals fan, Jack, as someone who has watched Girardi's tenure with the Phillies extensively through these last now year and a half, what was your opinion as him as a manager? And do you think he had a direct correlation to the Phillies' underwhelming success these last two years? I think there's definitely a direct correlation. I think that, you know, managers can only do so much. For as much as I'll talk about how I think David Martinez is a bad manager, this team isn't going to be much better without David Martinez. Uh and it's, I, th- I still think, despite this recent winning stretch, I still feel like it's kind of the same for the Phillies. I think they got caught in one of those times where they were really cold, and the pitching is just a, like every game. The offense would do something, and the pitching would give it right back up. And that's not a thing that's going to continue, no matter how bad your pitching is generally, right? When your offense is as good as the Phillies is, they're going to have to win some of those games. Uh but was he definitely a negative? Yes, he was. I mean, just in that giant series, a couple weeks before, or a couple, you know, series before he got fired, back to back nights, he substitutes Roman Quinn for Nick Castellanos for defensive speed purposes. And then it comes back to bite him to the point that Roman Quinn had two straight nights getting the clutch just at bat of the ballgame for the Phillies instead of Nick Castellanos. And it, was, and it felt like they were in situations where they didn't need to bring in Roman Quinn. And he ended up getting DFA'd a couple of days later after that. Uh, that's just one of those things where it felt like this is not your best option. And I felt like a lot of the time, too, with the bullpen part of it, I felt like the bullpen part of it wasn't really his fault. That bullpen just isn't very good. Uh, you know, they're going to they're gonna blow games because that, that's just a not good relieving core. I what think about just, Zach Wheeler going 1,000 innings? <laughs> we'll see that that's that's the special part of it zach wheeler and, and he did it with a bit with aaron nola last year too when he would have good starts that it was almost like he didn't trust the bullpen enough that he would leave zach wheeler and, and aaron nola out there until they would end up giving up the run that he thinks the bullpen would have given up to the point that now you're wasting arms and wasting pitches off your best pitchers do the same thing that you're scared of when you bring in your relievers I mean, I just perfect example. They were in San Diego last year. I don't remember if they won or lost the game, but Aaron Noah was at 115 pitches. Tying run comes to the plate. They're up three to one, bottom of the ninth. And they leave Aaron Noah in to pitch to Jake Cronenworth. And Jake Cronenworth goes yard because it was just so obvious. There was a game last year that I'm sure Parker watched when they were playing the Rays. <laughs> they, was it four to four? I, I know what you're talking about. I, I, I remember four four. the and exact happenings of that game. Was it the eighth or the ninth? I think it, it was, was the ninth. It was the ninth inning, and Zach Wheeler had already thrown 106 pitches, and it was four to four. <laughs> Joe Girardi decided to bring him out there, let Zach Wheeler load the bases, didn't take him out, and they gave up a grand slam to Francisco Mejia. So, and it's just like, 
the inevitability of things like that, because it feels like whenever a manager does that, it doesn't go well. Because I watch Davey Martinez do it a lot. He doesn't get the chance to do it late in games like that because the starting pitchers just aren't good enough to do that. You know, but when he'll do it in the fifth and sixth inning, you know, just, you know, for third game of the season, you want to is making a second career big league start. And he was honestly okay in that start, but he, he you know, comes out for the fifth inning, the bases get loaded, you know, second career big league start, Pete Alonso at the plate. You know what? Maybe this is time to bring in a reliever instead of giving up this inevitable grand slam. And you know what he does? He leaves him in grand slam. Well, I sucked at that moment. And that, you know what? At least Girardi does it with his vets. You know what? I'll give him that because Davey Martinez does it with anybody. <laughs> he'll, he'll leave Joanna Doan out there to dry. And they did that for 12 starts this season before sending him down to the minors. They'll just leave him out there to dry. And that's a huge issue for me as a manager. I'd much rather have a manager that comes out. And you know what? Let's say Zach Wheeler is at 90 pitches through, through five innings, but he's absolutely dominating. Or maybe even 80 pitches. But like, you know what? I'm not feeling great about this next inning. I'd so much rather the manager that takes him out early. And take oh him yeah, because when you take him out late, the damage is already done. Well, here's how I feel about this this whole saga. I don't know if anybody in here remembers this, but on opening day, I believe it was 2018. Way past Ga- my time. Way, it was, <laughs> way it past was my time. Gabe Kapler's first ever managerial game. It was his debut, and Aaron Nola was about to pitch into the sixth inning. He was, I think he was at 70 pitches and Gabe Kapler opted to take him out. The Phillies then (laughs) went on to blow a seven to nothing lead. And as we all know, Gabe Kapler was fired two years later. Now, Gabe Kapler is a top three manager on a very good team with the Giants and Joe Girardi, the guy that they replaced him with, has already been canned. The Phillies made a huge mistake in the first place firing Kapler and replacing him with Joe Girardi, a guy who'd been on MLB network for the past three years, not even thinking about managing a ball game because of how bad he was with the Yankees. They're like, yep, that's our guy. And he goes on and he's a terrible manager and nobody's surprised. And now they need to find a new terrible manager to hire. And I, and like I said, I think there's only so much a manager can really do with the Phillies because they, they aren't given much op- many options. The relievers they're given are not, these like world beaters. Sir Anthony Dominguez has had a good year coming off Tommy John. Brad Hand has been good before tonight, but there's just never stability within that bullpen. Like, you know, half the, half the relievers in that pen were not there last year and for good reason. And they probably will be the same way next year. Whereas Eric Shelton, you are a Philly. <laughs> just this ever rotating, this group of relievers that don't really get it done. And that you can't really blame a manager for. Dude, he fits the mold so perfectly, man. Oh. I, 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 in fact, have a prediction for the Phillies, actually. I believe <laughs> they will be the team that hires Mark DeRosa as their manager. Is that a thing? Yes. And Mark DeRosa, MLB Network guy. I've seen, like, Jim Bowden and John Heyman be like, hey, you should consider this guy for managerial jobs. No, you shouldn't. But you know who will? The Phillies. See... It kind of reminds me, this is like where I feel like we'd be in like two years if the Kings hired Mark Jackson. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be worse than Luke Walton. Excuse me. It, it couldn't be worse than Luke Walton, first off. But like, still. The Phillies just, their team construction bothers me. 
Everything about the Phillies bothers me. They have Kyle Schwarber, Nick Castellanos, and Bryce Harper in the same outfield. That is so disgusting defense-wise. You deserve to lose every single game. They also doesn't seem like they don't want a center fielder ever. I mean, those guys aren't center fielders. You know who's a free agent? That happens to be a center fielder. You're going oh, wait, to no. name some terrible player. I don't. I I, uh, <laughs> I actually don't think he plays center field. I think he might. It's a Mets guy. <laughs> Who? Well, he was a Met. Yeah, dude, Conforto. No, he he's, probably, not, he's, not oh. he's probably better. Def- he's probably. Oh, better no, better I, did predict, <laughs> I did predict Conforto would be a Philly. Oh, that would season. make so much sense. Is another guy <laughs> that can't play center field. <laughs> uh, you know what? I think Victor Robles would make a great Philly. Evan Kiermeyer would if he oh he would be so good for them. again. Who would you accept back? I I don't Harper. think that the Rays are going to get anything for Kevin Kiermeyer getting paid twelve million dollars. Oh, dude, the Phillies would You're eat that Bryson up. Bryson Stott. <laughs> Honestly, I'd take Bryson Stott. Really, you well, would? Really, wow. you, t- you take their top <laughs> You'd really prospect. take All him. Right. <laughs> he, I mean, he's been real bad. But he's yeah. like, oh, he's I a, guess I take the top week, prospect. Yeah. He had a great last week. Yeah. I mean, I'd take their number 50 prospect, but... What about their Luis Garcia? Sure. Honestly, and it sucks because I like Kevin Kiermaier a lot as a player, but what I'm slowly realizing is that Brett Phillips is basically better Kevin Kiermaier. Agreed. I tried saying this, and I was slandered for this. I was (laughs) slandered for this at Universal. I was defending my man. I was defending at, wait, him. Wait, wait, wait. At Universal, the same day that Kevin Kiermaier hit a walk-off home run? <laughs> yes, the same day that Kevin Kiermaier hit a walk-off home run. But I knew, I saw through the facade. I knew my man was really the GOAT. He is the future of center field for the Rays. Speaking of the Rays, Randy Rosarena just hit an inside-the-park home run. And he oh, is now that. officially the home run leader ahead of Kevin Raise the legend Nelson Cruz hit a moonshot. So they're slugging the night. I think we need to record Daniel Vogelback scored. Night. Let's go. <laughs> I think we need to record a podcast every night because the Nats are slugging the night. They've hit four homers tonight. <laughs> well, the Rays are losing seven to two, so you'll never see me on the show again. <laughs> and and the run goes deep. <laughs> oh, 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 I'm going on here every single day. <laughs> is that his first career homer yes it is <laughs> oh that's special dude night of celebration anyway who's right. the other manager we had to talk about the other manager is joe madden at age 68 a player <laughs> who previously was with the angels and then transferred into a coach in the organization so he was out there for four decades and then he went on to help the infamous parker ran tampa bay rays for nine years where he won two manager of the year awards and then in 2016 he led the cubs to their drought ending world series so this guy's great this guy's amazing at his job you fast forward to about four days ago the angels are probably winning a lot right yeah right totally no they've lost 12 straight with the greatest, some call the greatest player of all time in Michael Trout, coming off the unanimous MVP season, could be the greatest season we've ever seen from a single player ever in Shohei Otani. Anthony Rendon can't be worse than he was last year. You go sign pitching for the first time in, in 20 years. So 
everything seems to be placed right for Madden to succeed. No. No. They're not succeeding. The Angels. So, they end up cutting ties with Joe Madden. It just never clicked with them. And to be fair, like I said, he got only one and a half seasons of Trout. He only did. And in those three seasons that he was with the Angels, only got one year of Otani being the superstar, the same year that Trout was injured. So let it slide. But like I said, after finally getting it right this year, everything pointing up, people going, oh, I know the Angels have angeled, but this has to be different, right? No. Like I I said, his firing coming off the 12th loss in a row, hand-delivered by a shutout liars to Michael Walker. Everyone, I just got Vietnam flashbacks from you just saying his name. Oh man, he's he has a one nine one nine nine area and basically he's just like top. Six it it makes right me now. so mad. But, so, uh, I think that was the game after that was their first game since Madden get fi- got fired. They lost 1 0 to Michael Walker, and I believe they lost 1 nothing the next night as well. Uh, they're not a good team, it's that's just. When you go out and spend money on pitching, yes. You know what? Spending on pitching is great when you're in the Angels position, except for the fact that pitching, especially in relief pitching, is so volatile. Yes. And it can change so much from year to year. We saw Aaron Loop have an ERA under one last year. He just dominated everything with the Mets. There was one left-handed batter that took him yard in the last four years. His name is Juan Soto. And that's kind of inconsistent this I, year. I don't know who that guy is. Where have I heard that before? <laughs> Obviously, I've never heard it on this podcast. <laughs> but... And that and that's staying consistent. He's been good. He's been good enough against lefties, but he just hasn't been a good reliever. Ryan Tapera, great season last year for the Cubs and the White Sox, just hasn't been that guy for them this year that they wanted to have a setup guy. Rysel Iglesias, the Angels last year when they went into the ninth with a the lead, they did not lose. They did not blow games last year at all. They were sixty-eight and zero when they went into the ninth inning with a the lead. They bring back their closer. Four years, $64 million, and all of a sudden, this guy can't pitch. He's already given up all these home runs. He gives up the walk-off home run to Luis Barrera in Oakland. Gives up the grand slam to Bryce Harper in Philadelphia. Like, most electric homer of the season at the Angels' expense. And you know what? I'll say this about Joe Madden. I don't think it was his fault. I am not a Joe Madden believer, and I also kind of hate him for being the guy that produced Davey Martinez and Jim Hickey. (laughs) (laughs) Go Rays. At the same time, I don't think he's like as bad as you know it made it seem during that stretch. I think it was more of a, oh, the guys that my front office signed to be re- you know re- really reliable relievers are all of a sudden not reliable relievers. And oh, Mike Trout is like 0 for 30 in his last 30 at bats, and Shohei Otani's not doing much better. And Anthony Rendon's hurt. It was just a not like, a really inopportune time to be the Angel. And. Firing Joe Madden was not something that was needed, in my opinion, uh, at all. But he was a scapegoat for it. Yeah, you never know what's going on behind the scenes. But all I know is there's no way you can pin the Angels' issues on Joe Madden. Yes, Joe Madden is not a good manager at all. He's just not. He intentionally walked Corey Seager with the bases loaded. I will never forget about that. That is the dumbest thing I've ever seen a manager do in my See, lifetime. I think Tony Larusa topped it yesterday. Oh, what'd he do? He I didn't see Trey, Trey Turner up at the plate, runner on second is Freddie Freeman. Runner on first, but he steals second. Freddie Freeman steals second. 
And it's one two to Trey Turner in a seven five ball game with the Dodgers leading. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> watch Trey Turner now because first base is open. <laughs> and bring yep. Max Muncie in a lefty lefty matchup. He's like, oh lefty lefty, great. Max Muncie has better career numbers against lefties than he does righties. And it feels yes, like there does. are a lot of managers who don't realize that like they just they will go, oh he's a lefty and there's a lefty pitching. Oh okay, go ahead or go go. What's all right? Good matchup. Oh, MLB the show mentality. Yes, I believe who's that pitching? I think it was Bennett Souza. It was. It was Bennett Souza. Yeah, he's not even that big of a splits guy. Like he can get righties and lefties out. You're intentionally walking Trey Turner in a one-two count. That was terrible. It feels but like I, there are a lot of managers who don't realize that. I just I just want to get that out of the way. But yes, continue. Yeah, I terrible decision, but I still think intentionally walking somebody. <laughs> <laughs> the base is loaded is the worst. If they're not name is if your name is Barry not Bonds. Barry Bonds, literally <laughs> not Barry Bonds. What? Corey Seager's on like a seven thirty OPS this year. Yeah, he's far from Barry Bonds, but in general, this is just the Angels being a terrible franchise. They have the worst philosophy in baseball, and I've said it for a while now. They have all this money, so they can spend. So they're like, oh, we will spend on whatever pitcher becomes available. We'll spend on whatever pitcher is the easiest to get. And what do you get when you get those? You get a bunch of relievers who aren't on the teams that they were on before for a reason because they realize this guy's good now, but you never know if he'll be good next year. You never know if he'll be good the day before or not the day before, the, the year after that. So signing these relievers on multi-year deals and ignoring your defense situation, ignoring the back half of your rotation – you're not going to be a good team because you're going to have the biggest hole I think you can have in baseball, a bad bullpen. You can't go anywhere with a bad bullpen. The Braves had to trade for guys to make sure that they could yeah, the have a deep playoff run. The Nets kind of did it, but they had guys that stepped up. Wasn't Doolittle and it was, an all-star? It was, well, Doolittle was an 18, not 19. Oh. Hudson stepped up in that series, in that, in that postseason. Anna Rainey? Anna Rainey had a solid postseason. Yeah. Doolittle was solid. It also, I also just used a lot of starters out of the bullpen and completely oh, killed yeah. them. That so. too. But once again, like I mentioned, the back half of the rotation, they don't have a good one. So who are you going to pitch when Michael Lorenzen? Yeah, Michael Lorenzen, really? No. <laughs> you, I'd rather have him <laughs> hit than pitch, honestly. Before there was like confirmation of the DH, I was hopeful the Nats would sign Lorenzen. And you know what? Give him a flyer because who the hell cares and let him hit. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, he's a pretty solid hitter. Like, you'd be able to get away with playing him in the field if he ever became a useless pitcher. Dude, I, I would have been so down for that this year, dude. Would have been so <laughs> down for that. Make him like a left fielder. Yeah. But the Angels, they, they frustrate me, man, because they have two of the best players I've ever seen play, and they f- surround them with veteran arms that are bound to fall off. And Tyler Wade. And Tyler Bade. Why? That's the why? other issue with it is that you know they have those four great hitters, and the next best hitter on the team is like Taylor Ward. Well, okay, you know what? That's true. he's Taylor one Ward, of them. Taylor Ward's been great this year. So I, guess, I guess it's five this year when you include Taylor Ward. But Rendon also hasn't been quite that good. So you have these five great hitters, and then you follow them up with guys that just are like barely big league level hitters, if big league level hitters, like Andrew Velasquez. Luis Renjifo. Matt Duffy, Renjifo. Joe, Joe Adele hasn't gotten there yet. Brandon Marsh is like big league level, but not really anything special by, by any means. 
Like, and then they just get once once one guy gets hurt, it's like, oh god, now we got to bring up one of the even less big league level players from AAA. There's no depth whatsoever. It's it's the exact opposite of what the Giants are doing right now. I think the Angels confuse depth with 35 year old relievers that we paid 10 million dollars a year. Yeah, pretty much. It's crazy. I've never seen a team with less depth. And I think that's the perfect thing to end on. We've talked about that. We don't think it's Madden's fault, particularly the Angels are just angeling at this point. But do you think they get it back under control? Do you think they actually have a chance right now? Do you think that this Angel team has any shot come October? Yes. No. I think they do. Not – I mean, they might make the postseason because the AL is terrible, but they're not doing anything. Here's my thing. All I care about is you make the postseason in baseball. I don't care about, you know – winning the division, whatever. But as long as you make the postseason baseball, especially now because you're, you're going to have the guaranteed series and not just a wild card game, doesn't matter. Make the postseason, you're there, that you have a chance. Yeah, I, I agree with that for the most part. But I know that if the Angels somehow sneak their way into the postseason, they'd probably be the biggest underdog. Just they probably considering. Would be, and they'd probably just lose because they're the Angels and that's what they like to do. But at the same time, I think any team that gets in the playoffs is pretty much an equal shot. That's, that's, that's my thinking in baseball. I mean, how often do you actually see the best team in baseball win? It really just depends on, or it depends on who gets hot. So these teams need to have the ability to get hot. I don't even think the Angels do if they are just relying on five guys. Because even if all five of those guys get hot, you're most likely not going to have a scorching hot Tyler Wade to back them up. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely just like you know the depth issue is just such a big thing, and it wouldn't be that big of a thing if the bullpen was good and the pitching was good, but it's inconsistent. The pitching is inconsistent. The depth sucks, and the hitting when it's not Mike Trout, Taylor Ward, Shohei Otani, Anthony Rendon, Jared Walsh just destroying baseballs. The offense doesn't really do much. One of those guys go in, goes into a slump. And it's over. Yeah, I, I like what you said. You were um, totally lost my train of thought. So, actually, I don't like what you said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good, all right. Um, yeah, why why would you say that? I know. Why would you even say that? I can't believe you don't like what I said, man. That's, that's oh, man, I had something really good to say, too. That's kind of sad. But I think that will wrap it up for our Girardi and Madden talk. And we'll be right back with Jack. Preventing like a sort of a little mini game, I, I call it NL and N or AL and NL comparisons. The you know comparing two teams that are very similar. We'll be right back. All right, shitter, get ready to do it. I got six combinations ready for you. All right, I think so what we're gonna, go gonna do, do is I'm going to tell you the NL team. You're going to try and guess the AL team. Okay, sounds like fun. Parker, we'll just we'll just you can go first, and then I'll take a guess if you don't get it right. Cool. All right. Go ahead, Jack. Give us an open. Okay, so we've talked a lot about what's going on in baseball right now and our favorite teams. We're going to play a little game, guessing game. I've compiled a list of NL teams that I think compare really well to AL teams, and basically I've combined them. No, this team is really similar to this one pretty much, right? I got six teams, and I'm going to say the NL team. I'm going to have Parker and Spencer guess which AL team I matched up with them. Let's go. So – We'll see how many they get right first try, and we'll and I'll explain why I have them like this. So the first one I think is going to be the easy one. 
The NL team is the LA Dodgers. Yankees. The Yankees. It is, it's the Yankees. And I think that's the easy one. It's the, you know, the, the all payroll, never actually bad. Obviously, Yankees have had a little bit worse success than the Dodgers have. And they've had a couple of years they missed the playoffs. But always are going to be one of the top teams in baseball for the most part. And God pitching every year for and some reason. Good at developing. Ugh. See, oh no. Oh man, here we go. I the car ride. The car ride talk that I infamously talked about. If healthy, if all teams are healthy, the Yankees pitching rotation is not top five. Oh. Well, yeah, I, I that's how I feel, but it's not even just that. I agree right now. That comparison makes a lot of sense, but that's only because of recent events and how the Yankees philosophy has changed. They seem to be copying the Rays and the Astros and the Dodgers in a lot of ways in acquiring a lot of pitchers that have different arm angles and guys that just pound up the zone. The Yankees are just like the Rays in where they don't have pitchers that give up walks. That's the biggest thing you can do to kill yourself if you're a team is give up walks, especially with no outs. And it seems like a lot of these teams that struggle for a while, like the Angels and the Phillies, these teams go after guys that have great stuff and have no idea where it's going and think they can fix them. That's not how it works. You need guys that can fill up the zone if you want success. Well, they do have guys that give up home runs and Garrett Cole. Oh, yeah. A lot of home runs. And it doesn't Lots even matter because he's a great pitcher otherwise. Just three in a row, matter of fact. And they still but, won the game. <laughs> and they still won the game. All right, Jack. All right, that was the easy one. Let, let us know. This one, I'm gonna, I think this one is. It's gonna stump me. It's gonna stump us. NL baseball team here is the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's a good one. I'll go. I'll go with the Mariners. It's not the Mariners. So that, that makes Cleveland. Sense. It's not the Mariners. Not the Guardians. Detroit? No. Uh, the Orioles? It's the Orioles. Oh, Hell, man. I didn't want it to be that disrespectful. <laughs> <laughs> I was, it's, I was it's, like, it's not that's... a diss, though, for the Pirates, really. It's that it's two teams that, you know, they had some time in the playoffs from early 2010s, mid-2010s, but they kind of fell apart. They had to sell off the team. And now they're at a point where there's a lot of top prospects coming in. And if these prospects work out, they might be the two top teams in baseball at some point. Probably not. But the way their farm systems are built, they're that good. There's so much talent coming through the farm, and they're maybe a year or two away from at least turning that into something. The Orioles and Pirates have both you know, been bottom feeders the last you know, five years. They've looked better this year. Not good, but better. They've been competent at playing baseball. They haven't been at the bottom of their respective leagues. They're both kind of on the cusp when a couple more guys get up and maybe they go out and sign like someone that isn't awful. They're right there. I feel so bad for the Orioles though. (laughs) Because of the division. (laughs) And that's why it's they're both in different situations because I can see the Pirates easily overtaking the NL Central in 17 game losing streak. Let's go. Easily. The NL Central is wide open. There's no teams that have outstanding farms the brewers have a great pitching staff but if they can't compound that pitching staff with a decent enough hitting staff hitting staff uh, i don't even know if that's what you call it it's fine it's fine (laughs) offense hitting offense anyway Uh, if if they can't get a complete team 
they're always going to be a 90-95 win team. If the Pirates can build on what they have right now, they have both sides of the field covered in their farm. They have guys like Ronzi Contreras that are just absolute ace caliber type prospects. And they have a loaded offensive farm. Nick Gonzalez, O'Neill Cruz, just tons of guys that will come up. And some of them are going to suck. That's how prospects work. But it'd be tough for the Pirates to mess this up. So we're talking about the NL Central and how just atrocious of a division that is. And they came into the night having lost their last 17 games of the division. That's not going to continue tonight because there are two NL Central teams playing each other in St. Louis tonight. The Reds are in town. However, it was continued. 18. There's a good chance. Pirates lost. That's 18. Brewers lost. That's 19. Chicago. Oh, man. Chicago is in New York right now. They're in the There's a good chance that that continues tonight outside of the game. That's two NL Central teams. That doesn't count. So this, this, I mean, it is special how bad this division is. I was told it was the third best in baseball. By who? By some guy on an Instagram comment. <laughs> <laughs> I did not acknowledge it. I was like, I, I put a question mark and I was like, what? And he was like, the NL East, the AL Central, and the AL West are all significantly worse. I was like, you definitely don't know ball. And then I closed my phone. <laughs> So the Cubs are an extras. They just didn't score the ghost runner in the top of the 11th against the Yankees. So yep. that's not ideal. I, I didn't see that. Rafael Ortega, he lined out to the pitcher and VR got doubled off at second base. So just not a good thing happening right now in the NL Central for really anybody. Except us because it shows that we have some hope. <laughs> I, anyway. I agree with that, honestly. That brings us into the next one because there's another NL Central team. And I, I think this one's a little more obvious. The NL team here is the Brewers. Red Sox. No. Oh, you're going to say the Rays. I am going to say the Rays. Yeah. The Rays. It's a but team that has this pitching inc- dominant weak incredible offense. Incredible pitching development. Yep. This incredible pitching staff when they're healthy, at least. The Brewers are definitely really banged up right now. That's that's played a part in their losing streak. They are really banged up. No Woodruff, no Peralta, a couple of bullpen guys missing. However, their offense is just about as healthy as it'll be all year, and it is still atrocious. I will say, I disagree with this more than you could ever imagine. Why is that? Because the Rays don't have a bad offense. They have an offense that's playing bad. And it's simply because their best two players are hurt. I agree. Yeah, that's fair. Right now. So even, even Either way, even right. with that, I think that the comparison can be made even when Wander and Brandon Lau are healthy. I just don't think the Brewers have the offensive outs- upside that the Rays do. They don't. It's definitely not a pinpoint comparison. But they're pretty similar even still. It's just – I. I still believe the Rays are an elite offense. They just have started terribly. And when I say they've started terribly, they have a team 100 WRC plus. So they've really been average, but I think it's fair to expect a lot more from an offense that was extremely productive last year. Well, I think the other thing with that too, is I feel like offense is so down within baseball right now that the 100 WRC plus this year is probably in the, like around, you know, low nineties last year for a team. Yeah. Oh, for and sure. The biggest thing, but, the biggest thing, like you said, is that Brandon Lau, who hit what thirty home runs last year, Wander Franco, probably the, the best you know, player on the team. I think it's literally the best player on the team. It's you're missing your two guys. That's like in 2019. Take away Yelich off the team. 
And obviously they're not MVP Yelich, but combined, I mean, you can make the case that they're even better than MVP Yelich value-wise. So, yeah. you know, obviously take away the 2019 Brewers Yelich MVP. Of course the offense is going to struggle, but then people are going to go, well, it's because, you know, so Yelich is injured. Same thing for the Rays. Not worried about the Rays offense because guess what? When they get those two guys back, they're just going to be kicking ass. That and there are a lot of guys that have underperformed that I'm not really worried about in the slightest. Like, I, Vidal Bruhan. I mean, Vidal is, we'll see. We'll see with him. <laughs> no, but, no, and we'll be the show 20 future star, by the way. Randy Rosarena started terribly and he's been scorching hot. Harold Ramirez has the most attractive baseball savant page I've seen in my life. And he's, <laughs> he's got a 110 WRC plus, so he could get even better. And the guys that have struggled are guys like Mike Zunino, who always struggle and then they get hot. Kevin Kiermeyer, he's the same type of guy. And then you've got the replacements for Wander Franco and Brandon Lau and Taylor Walls and Vidal Bruhan, who have been dragging this offense so down. So I really think it's, it's a good offense verging on great when it's healthy, even with these struggles. But the Rays have one issue now that they haven't had in the past three years and it's depth. And that's one thing that the Brewers are very good at. They have great defensive depth, even though they'll bring in some guys that don't know how to hit <laughs> their, their entire lineup doesn't know how to hit anyway. So it's not that they really, yeah, it doesn't even matter with the Rays. You'll, you'll see exactly who shouldn't be on the field when you watch one of their games. So that brings us to the next one. This one might be a little tougher for you guys. I'm, I got the Braves on here with another AL team. Oh, uh, Blue Jays. It's not the Blue Jays. That's a good guess, though. I, I could definitely see that. And is it the Red Sox? It is not. White Wait, Sox. Who is the Braves? It's the Braves, not the White Sox. I want to say a- Astros? It's the Astros. Okay. And it's ironic because, you know, that was the World Series matchup last year, and the Braves beat them in the World Series. But I think they're pretty similar when you look at it. The starting rotation is pretty good and pretty young for the most part. The offense, there's a lot of really good hitters on both sides. The Astros have more. There's a lot of really good hitters, especially with Dansby Swanson playing well right now for the Braves. The farm system, eh, not great. Non-existent, especially after the Olsen trade, not there. There's no farm system. You know, Michael Harris is your top prospect. He's fine. He's, he's, He's a good prospect, but he's not, you know, he's generally not what you hope for. I feel like when you're looking at a prospect, he'll be pretty good. Or your number one on a team. Um, that's just, I feel like it's, it's really there. And their bullpen is also kind of made up of a bunch of guys that weren't really there and they kind of brought them in, but they're doing well. I could see yeah, it. I, no, that's I, why I, I, like, it. I like this comparison a lot. The Braves obviously have been a lot worse, but recently they've gotten back up to speed helps when you play three games against the pirates that too <laughs> i wish the rays had more than three games against the pirates this year no offense 24th shane baugh has come back he's gonna get shelled oh, i pray for it every day i wake up i can't wait i'm so excited shane right. so we have two up. more oh okay well the throw at us. here is the washington nationals okay who's the worst white team? no <laughs> tigers um, <laughs> Not the Tigers. Twins. Royals. It's the Royals. Oh. And I say this because the roster-wise, they're not very similar. But I say this purely because of the dinosaurs they are when it comes to coaching and developing players. 
and yeah, you can't really get more dinosaur than and that's and yeah. that's my that's kind of my main takeaway for this because the rosters aren't very similar the nats roster is way better than the royals roster is but pitching development the pitching development for the royals and the pitching development for the nats are 1a and 1b in terms of just being the worst in baseball the royals pitching development like hurts my soul the, didn't even I'm know not, it existed the amount like Jacob of Junis good right now. pitchers that just have failed with the royals spectacularly i mean it, there i don't think that it's possible for a guy to come up with the royals as a starter and not suck i mean the last guy that i remember that came up with the royals was a jordano ventura rest in peace and he was good so that's kind of like the last guy i remember they kind of fixed wade davis yeah that was years ago that was like what 2014 yeah, they, 2015 they got wade davis good for yeah. like two years they won a World Series with the old head methods they had. That was kind of the hilarious baseball team. It was like, oh, it's so disgusting. Like run around, bunt, singles. It's so steal, like, <laughs> steal. So frustrating that a team like the Royals can get a what? World Series and the Rays can't. The Rays have been the most cutting edge team for years. But the Royals beat us to it. The Royals were like, <laughs> all right, we're going back to 1940s baseball, boys. Let's get lit. And then they ended up winning a yeah. World well, Series. CDs Escobar is their starting start, starting shortstop. God, they're like, I yeah, mean, you're gonna choke up on the bat, hit singles, and steal bases. That's Gold how we're gonna Glove do it. Winner with a six fourteen OPS that year. Terrence Gore, lead contributor. <laughs> what? And the Nats also won their World Series just some, with you know dinosaur development. Their players are just a lot better, but it's it was still a pretty dinosaur way. Gosh, a one, two, three of 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 Max Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin must have been so special to watch when Corbin was actually like not Patrick Corbin when he was actually good. Uh, it must have been it special better to watch. than twenty fifteen when they still had Jordan Zimmerman. I don't, uh, oh, I don't know who that is. Jordan Zimmerman? Yeah, I've never so heard of him. Man. Steven Souza Jr. saving his no hitter. I was at that game. It was great, dude. Steven and Sousa I was at Jr. I was at his next stuff. start, which was Game Two of the uh, the playoff series. Against the Giants. Souza was the perfect mediocre right fielder for the mediocre Rays back yep, in 2016. We got Trey Turner for him. What? Trey Turner. <laughs> Trey yep. Turner was a Ray? No, he was a Padre. It was a three-team trade. We oh. sent Steven Souza Jr. to the Rays. They sent Will Myers to the Padres, and we got Trey Turner and Joe Ross. You know what that trade actually resulted in, though? Yanni Diaz on the Rays, because Jake Bowers was in that deal. Special. Anyway, last the team. final one I have here, I think you're going to know it right when I say it. Phillies. Red Sox? No. Well, wait. The Dombrowski connection. Uh, oh, the White Sox. No, not the White Sox. Oh, dude, I totally thought it was I'm the White Sox. Sh- Who sucks? It's the Angels? It's the Angels. Okay, it's so, but, but think, like, think with the White Sox, it can kind of, you know, underperforming star players on offense, mid-pitching, like even bad pitching, you know, that kind of thing. But angels, let us know. The main reasoning for this is just the philosophy that goes into their team building. It's very similar. We were talking about earlier, you know, the angels have a bad bullpen. They try to pay their bullpen. And that's what the Phillies and angels do. They decide, you know what, we're going to fix our problems by just giving money to everybody. Instead of trying to develop our own guys, we're going to bring in a bunch of outside guys and hope they do well and hope they work. And that's a great strategy when you're paying them not very much money. I love the idea of just signing everybody you can on like one year, $2 million deals and just seeing if they work. 
But when you're giving them more money, like you're giving to Brad Hand one year six and Jarese Familia one year six and Aaron Loop like two years 17 and Ryan Tapera two years 15, it's, it's such desperation to go out, bring in the right guys just for them to inevitably suck and repeat the whole cycle again. Well, in the meantime, you have all these prospects who are failing. Like, for instance, Joe Waddell. Brandon Marsh isn't failing, but he's not completely living up the hype either. Or for the Phillies, Mickey Moniak. Alec <laughs> Bohm has been a little better this year, but he's still just an absolute wash defensively. <laughs> Terrible. So, and none of them really necessarily have good farm systems. It's They have to spend money to go out and bring these guys in and just pray that they work out. Yeah, I can and see it. At that point, and they're pretty similar in the way that they end, their baseball games go too with the blowing games and the offense just not existing for whatever reason when they have good offensive players. Great offensive players. Obviously, the last like week or so has not been that indicative of that. But either way, point stands. Well, both got rid of their managers as we covered that, earlier that's on the show. True, true. True, true. One of them was much more justified than that. But... <laughs> oh, I think that's a great ending. That is a very good comparison. That is a great comparison. Job, I really enjoyed that. That was some good stuff by you. Thank you so yay, much for that yay. segment. Well, that's going to be all for tonight. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Parker. Glad to be back. We're going to try and come at you guys one time a week. Watch out for the Substack. We're going to be writing about the Pirates, Nationals, uh, maybe some more Niner news and Steeler news when we get closer to the season. Well, boys, we have some finals to watch. So We do. Park, about half, Jack, Parker, who do you guys half. have tonight? Celtics. See, I really, I am so torn on this series because I said Celtics at the beginning of the postseason. But going into this series, I was really feeling Warriors. I don't know. I'm really stumped. I, I feel like when it comes to basketball, I'm really bad at just making a pick. I feel like I really have no clue. That's you with every sport. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> okay. All right. All right. And, and podcast. Let's, let's finish up. All right. All right. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll see you next week.